You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. And I really have nine in. But I'm going to tell you, every day of my life, I read it. And I think it's been very, very, very important to me. I'm going to read it now. I'll read it again tonight. And I'll share it with you if you give me a minute. This is the beginning of a new day. God has given me this day to use as I will. I can waste it. I can use it for good. What I do today is very important because I'm exchanging a day of my life for it. I came up here more back hurting this morning. I'm saying that for a day of my life. When tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever, leaving something in its place. I have traded for it. I want it to be gain, not loss, good, not evil, success, not failure, in order that I shall not forget the price I paid for it. And I want to thank Mr. Tram Session. He's a that's terrific. That keeps me going every day. It is difficult for me to believe it is 40 years that Paul Bryant, Paul William Bryant, legendary Alabama football coach, retired. Wow. Uh, it brings a rush of emotions uh, for me personally because, good grief, that was 40 years ago. I was 20. I was a cub. I was 25 years old. Uh, but anyway, it was on this date 40 years ago, and Lawrence Anderson brought it to my attention this morning. To be quite honest with you, I always remember his last game in certain moments and certainly – the the tragedy of one twenty six eighty three when Coach Bryant passed away, but this one just kind of slid by me. Lars brought it up, but uh, it's a significant date uh, in in Alabama football history. Uh, good afternoon, Lars. How are you? I'm great, Matt. Good afternoon. Um, yeah, you you put me in my place uh, <laughs> over text when I said, you know, I, I want to talk about this because uh, I've written extensively, <laughs> and you text me back. I was there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that well, was like the best was, comeback uh, you have ever uh, had for text. <laughs> well, you know, I, I really, and you know I meant it in jest and, and as a part of it, but uh, I thought, man, that's a mic drop moment. Even when you think it yourself, then maybe it is. I don't know. But I'll have to back. I'll have to backtrack a little bit. I didn't know it. You know, you brought it up, and uh, I just wondered, as as we get ready, by the way, hello to everybody and to, and to all my all Tuscaloosa, Gadsden, Anniston, and Birmingham folks. We appreciate you dialing us in today. And good grief, what a difference twenty four hours makes as far as the weather is concerned. But uh, Lars, uh, you were what ten? Uh, 
when he retired? Is that about right? I was uh, 11 years old when he retired. Um, do you remember yes. Paul Bryant when you were a kid? You know, I, I do. I remember watching Alabama play uh, a few times uh, and Bear Bryant there prowling the sideline in his houndstooth hat. And to me, Matt, as a little boy growing up in Nebraska, it almost seemed like Alabama was like a foreign country. Like it was so far away. Oh, it just felt so far away because I, I, you know, I really hadn't, I didn't travel much as a little kid. Nobody does. But um, it, it was just, there, were, there was just something magical about Bear Bryant and uh, the respect that he commanded and you could see it. And then, you know, getting the chance to write Chasing the Bear, which is basically a dual biography on on Bryant and Nick Saban, uh, in which, I, you know, you've, you've read it. I, I put them side by side. And, and, you know, what was Bear Bryant doing when he arrived at Alabama? What was Nick Saban doing? And, and through the comparisons, you can see how not just the world has changed, but also how college football has changed. But, um, you know, I know that, that, that Bryant – you know, the night before uh, he announced his retirement, he was up all night worrying about what he was going to say because he knew, first of all, that there that it was going to be broadcast live on radio and television all across Alabama and that his words were going to cause people who are driving to work in the morning, you know, to pull over under the shoulders of roads and basically bring the entire state to a standstill and 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 uh the, from you know the, my research and you were there but from my research is like he just he just sat at a, at a table and uh, the the it was filled with microphones and i imagine it the t- around the table with just reporters like yourself and he just read a prepared statement and um, and, and the, the line that stuck with me, which wasn't in our audio, is he said, quote, there comes a time in every profession when we need to hang it up. And that time has come for me as head coach at the University of Alabama. I'm a tired old man, but I'll never get tired of football. And um, if I can just continue for a second, Matt, um, you know, so ESPN's Chris Lowe is basically the national writer that Nick Saban turns to when he wants to really talk. And Bear Bryant had that same sort of person, and that was Sports Illustrated's John Underwood. And so right after uh, his retirement, Underwood called up Bear Bryant, and he asked him, you know, why, 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 why are you hanging it up? And Bryant replied, because four damn losses is too damn many. Uh, at that remember at that time Alabama had lost four uh, that season, and he said I'm up to my alligator my, I'm up to my blank in alligators John these new young coaches just have too much energy for me we need someone younger and then Edward uh, Underwood asked so really are are you tired coach and Brian said nah to tell you the truth I feel great I got so many things I've been wanting to do for so long and now I'm gonna get to do them and Underwood asked like what. And Brian said, "Well, I'm just not sure yet." And then, uh, in the, in the story, in the story in SI that followed, right, Brian's retirement and before his final game, um, Underwood noted that Brian once predicted that he'd quote croak in a week if he quit coaching, 
And Underwood ended his SI tribute, his Sports Illustrated tribute story, with the sentence, all things considered, Bear Bryant didn't sound like a man who had croaking on his mind. And then, as we all know, uh, what was it, 27 days later, uh, Bear Bryant was gone. Yeah, he said croak in a week, and I think it took it five, five and a half, six, something like that. Um, and he was asked about that very er, a lot earlier in his career. But uh, unfortunately, he proved to be quite, quite prophetic when it came to that particular statement. But um, there are a lot of things I remember about Coach Bryant, and uh, a lot we could go into if you want to. But um, one of the things I remember, if we're uh, kind of aligning things with Saban, is that Bryant came to Alabama in the late 50s, 58, and they left in 82. Uh, so you got 50s, 60s, 70s, and early 80s that Coach Bryant lived with, not just with football changes, with monumental cultural changes. And think about it, Lars, in the late 50s, um, you know, it's crew cuts. It's the junction. In, in the uh, early 80s, uh, man, it's, it's mullets and pot. So uh, he had to transition not only from throwing the football two out of three downs to running the wishbone, much as Saban has had to, you know, he's had to change his football team. Uh, And Saban's living through, and right now I think he's seeing it more than any other time in his coaching career, a cultural change with NIL, the transport portal, portal and all, of monumental proportions. So I parallel those two men on the field and off the field as being able to bob and weave and adapt with what society, what was going on with society, Lars. Do you remember, Matt, uh, attending that press conference? Like, do you remember yes, details? I, I rem- do you remember details of it? Not re- Well, first I remember um, most all of his news conferences uh, were well attended. Uh, some of his weekly news conferences when they were playing Tennessee Tech or somebody like that, maybe not so. But you're playing Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, whatever the case, you know, the, the, those rivalries, um, they were huge. But I remember this one, you, you couldn't have fit another microphone on the table in front of him. And it was held in an auditorium there at, um, at Coleman Coliseum uh, that escalated up and it, you know, it fits ever. I remember taking classes in that very same room. It was like a classroom. Uh, and you had to squeeze between the table and the first row of seats because people were, st- they were, they were reporters crouched and, and holding their mics instead of being able to have the advantage of setting them down there. And, and you're right. He came in, uh, he read a prepared statement. Um, I don't remember him taking any questions really. Uh, don't think that he wanted to. Um, he was a very matter of fact in, in what he read. It was very apparent he prepared it and read it over several times, and and that was it. Uh, so other than the ambiance and, and the number of people there, and how crowded it was, it, it was not as eventful as you might think. And I hate to disappoint with that, but the facts are the facts. Everybody recorded that statement, and that's what led every newscast in the state of Alabama for not just one day. And then the thing about it is, after that, Lars. What what happens when a person of significance makes a statement like that? You want to get reaction from everybody, from the person who lives across the street from him to Joe Namath. And, and I remember that being quite, well, it was a challenge, but it was also, um, uh, is fun the word, Lars, when you're yeah. really enjoying your work? 
getting quotes from all these people and all these players, the currents, the past, the fans, the governor. Uh, now that was uh, that was really uh, it was it was enjoyable as a reporter. Matt, I, I want to continue this discussion on the other side, and I, I know uh, we have Joseph Goodman from AL.com is going to join us at 1230. Really excited to talk to Joe. Yeah. Um, but uh, but there are a couple more points that I, I think are worth exploring about what transpired 40 years ago today. Let's do that. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Christian Miller, Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, and our usual cast of characters. Yeah, I ran into Goodwin last night at the UAB game. I said you hadn't been on in a while. Come on. So we'll talk to him about UAB. Uh, there are other... Uh, there are other developments concerning the unfortunate passing of Mike Leach. Mississippi State has a new coach. There are more quotes coming in about him as a person and as a coach. We're going to do, hey, we're bringing it all to you right today on Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Meet Joe A, Joe B, and Joe C. What's up? Three everyday Joes perfecting their banking with Chase. Joe A is locking his lost debit card with the Chase mobile app. Joe B is... Sunny weather continues, the high 55. Colder Saturday, a mixture of clouds and sunshine, the high in the upper 40s at 49. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 52 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Hey, welcome back to Big Noon Sports. It's Christian Miller, Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, Josh and Joe, and the entire gang at Tide and Crawford Broadcasting are with us today on this absolutely gorgeous December day, 10 days before Christmas. It is also the 40-year anniversary of Paul William Bryant announcing his retirement from football, in this case, in Tuscaloosa from the University of Alabama. Christian Miller hooks up with us. Of course, uh, I was just thinking, uh, Christian, your father wasn't even driving a car yet when this announcement was made. So obviously you were not really in the picture when he was coaching teams at the University of Alabama. But I was wondering, your memory, your dad's memory, and, and quite honestly, put you on the spot a little bit, did did Coach Saban ever talk about Coach Bryant? Um, he might have referenced him a couple times, but it, it honestly wasn't very often. You know, I hear, I hear more stories about him from, um, you know, friends of mine that are from here, um, you know, some fans that I've met that – um, were around during that time period, and they just speak so highly of them. Um, I can only imagine, you know, probably similar, um, you know, rec- recognition and respect um, to the likes of Coach Saban, if not more. And uh, you know, I've heard the stories of you know his tower that he always had, and how he would he would be smoking cigarettes nonstop, and um, just leaning on his presence of just leaning on that goalpost was just so significant. And um, you know, I, I wish that that I um, you know could. I probably need to get a copy of Lars' book and, and learn more about it because you know it's very intriguing. You know to to, to have a coach of that magnitude um, and his success, and then later on down the road to have Coach Saban, who I played for. Um, I'd almost like to learn even more about him. Um, like I said, I've learned heard a lot of stories, but I really kind of want to dive into him and almost see if I can 
compare the two or just see see what kind of similarity similarities they have. I mean, Matt, you probably know a lot more. I mean, probably could. You know, what would you say is you know similar and what's kind of different between the two? Would you would you have a say on that? Well, I'll tell you what, and 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 this is significant. Uh, one of the biggest differences: stature. Uh, Paul Bryant was Paul Bunyan. I mean, he was a <laughs> large man, and we know Nick Nick Saban was not. But in parallels, man, those guys can recruit. Coach Bryant could he could sit down with your mama and your daddy, and the next thing you know, they were in the dorm. Uh, I I think that uh, that was very very similar to uh, what Coach Saban does. Uh, and I mentioned a little while ago, they were able to change with culture and football. And I know Lars wrote a book that paralleled these two men. So let's extend the question to you, Lars, differences uh, and uh, similarities between the two legends. Uh, there's a lot. But, and, but, but before I get into that, let, let me just share my all-time favorite Bear Bryant story. And this came from uh, Galen McCullough who, Matt, I, I know you're familiar with. He was a, a center at Alabama, and Galen shared this tale with me um, that uh, going back to August of 1961, uh, it's uh, one day Alabama's out practicing, and it is just, you know, hot as Hades out there. And um, suddenly appears this 18-year-old year old from Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, right? He had just landed at the Birmingham airport and uh, he had a, a, a toothpick dangling from his mouth and he went, he was, he's just walked to the sideline as tied players were performing drills on the field, right? The middle of practice. And, and, um, and, and, and Joe Namath was wearing a silvered blue straw hat. Right. He looked like he was just like straight out of a Manhattan disco 1970s nightclub, 1960s nightclub. And um, and and Galen McCullough, he asked a, a, a G.A. He's like, who is that dude? Or he actually said, who is that cat? And he said, that's your new freshman quarterback. And McCullough said, are you kidding me? He won't last two days here. And then uh, practice stopped. And everyone um, and everyone looked up to the tower where Bryant was and grabbed his bullhorn and yelled, Joe, come up here. And so, so Joe Namath uh, gets to the base of the tower and the players are just like – and the coaches too. They're just astonished because this had never happened before. Like, I think the governor of Alabama went up there once with Namath, but nobody else ever went up to the tower. And so Namath goes up to the top of the tower, and this is his first time meeting Bryant in person because, Matt, as you know, it was Howard Schnellenberger who was then a young assistant. He's the one who recruited Namath. And so Bryant hadn't met him face-to-face, and this was our first meeting and so for 40 minutes up on the top of the tower, practice resumes, but Bryant starts talking, right? Starts talking to Namath and he's mumbling in that sort of low voice of his. And he's just telling him that, that how Namath can help him win more national championships and, and that he was going to look after him and he was going to be a strong father figure to him and, and, uh, and, and turn him into the best quarterback in the country. Well, years later, Joe Willie Namath 
in one of the greatest statements of all time, he was asked about that incident. And he said, for those 40 minutes, I could only understand one word. You know what that word was? Stud. (laughs) (laughs) So. And he um, was. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No, it was. uh, There's just so many great Bear Bryant stories, you know, and uh, and and great it, it, it was really hard to encapsulate it, to be honest, it, just in, in one book. And um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they had plenty of similarities. They both lost their dads at, at young ages. Um, and, uh, and when Nick Saban won his sixth national championship, uh, he was the same age as Bryant, 66. And and, um, you know, they're they're really just how how tough they are. You know, uh, and, and, and I think it's it goes back to their upbringings. They, they both grew up in small towns, uh, small towns. Bryant was born and raised in uh, Morrow Bottom, Arkansas. Is that a, did I pronounce that right? Um, you got and, it. Yeah. And that's just a, a dot in the, on, on the map in Arkansas. And Saban's from a town of 500 in rural Virginia. As both as boys, they they both dreamed of escaping their ho- hometowns, and they both used football as the means to propel them to better lives. And and from a very young age, they both were taught the value of hard work, and they both understood uh, very in in a fundamental way that there is just simply no easy way to success i mean there's not and 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 we you know we we talk about that a lot on this show and and like i said um uh, bear Bryant's father he died suddenly at age 46 it was either caused by uh, pneumonia or a uh, food poisoning but the exact cause was never determined and and nick's dad also died at age 46 and we've talked about them and and i think their father's early death sort of infused both bryant and and nick with a sense of urgency to accomplish as much as possible at, at an early age i mean and the similarities keep going like they uh, they both got married in college uh bear bryant he never did the laundry or paid a bill and I would say it's safe to say that Nick Saban has never done the laundry or paid a bill since he's been married. Uh, and I mean, their wives manage their lives outside of football and they took care of all the day to day details. And I think both uh, Mary Harmon, Bryant and, and Terry Saban are, were more extroverted than their husbands. And they both flourished in social settings. And and uh, and also, you know, both of them were the ultimate uh, ultimate recruiter or ultimate like closers when it came to recruiting and and I want to take this to Christian was was Miss Terry did she play a role in your recruitment she she did play a role and uh, it was when I actually came on my visit um, her and my mother you know got along great and she was so sweet to uh, not only my mother but my brother as well and I remember that specifically you know they couldn't say enough about um, just how kind she was, how generous she was, how welcoming she was. Um, I actually got to ride uh, in Coach Saban's personal vehicle over to his house, I believe, um, from the complex. And uh, I think they, you know, sat next to her. And, um, you know, they, they, they developed a nice uh, relationship on that visit. And, um, yeah, you know, and she's still involved around the program. She does so much for this community, and, and, and she takes pride in it. And she, she does it.
says it for all the right reasons, and she's a very special lady, and uh, he's definitely got a good one in Miss Terry. Did your mom? Did your mom tell you that? that did she get the sense from Miss Terry that Miss Terry was going to take care of you? In, a, in, in, in like I, I, I get the sense that she is the sort of maternal figure over the entire program. Is that accurate, Christian? Yeah, I, I would I would say so. You know, we probably don't get to see her um, as much as you might think you would. You know, which is because she's so busy and she's got a lot of stuff going on. But when you do see her, um, again, she's so welcoming, so heartwarming, and um, she makes everyone just feel like family. So yeah, I definitely get a sense from, of that from her. Great stuff, Christian Miller, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, Big Noon Sports. Coming up, AL.com's lead columnist Joseph Goodman. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Mornings were made for better things than rheumatoid arthritis or RA. Zeljan's tofacitinib is a pill for adults with moderate to severe RA. When tumor... Big Noon Sports, Matt Coulter hosting you along with uh, Lars Anderson and Christian Miller is with us. Last night went the UAB basketball game. I walked into the media room, picked up some notes, and I ran into Joseph Goodman, who is the lead sports columnist and writer for AL.com. We just got to talking and Mike Leach and UAB basketball and a couple other things. I said, why don't you join us on the show? Then we walked out on the floor, Joseph, and I saw something, and I've gone, I don't even want to count because I'm old. I've gone to a lot of basketball games, but I have never seen this happen. And I, I'm sure it's not terribly rare. Actually, it may be. Anyway, leading scorer in the nation plays for UAB. That is Jordan Jelly Walker. He comes down the floor, first possession, boom, hits a three. They get the ball back, South Carolina in the court, get back down the floor, boom, he launches up another three, and he's fouled. Four-point play. The UAB comes back down. They, they stop South Carolina. They come back down the floor. Jelly Walker, boom. So after about two minutes of play, the score is Jelly Walker 10, Gamecocks 0. Joseph, welcome to the show. You ever seen anything like that? No, man. I, I, it, and I actually wrote that very thing in my column today. Like, I... I've, I've, I've covered a lot of basketball, all right, <laughs> like at every level. That was crazy. And it's not like they weren't covering him, okay? <laughs> yeah, they fouled him. Right. He was well guarded. Uh, <laughs> you know, they ran – They ran a, after the game, uh, and Andy Kennedy said they saw something on film, you know, uh, with South Carolina's defense. To get Jelly um, some room, you know, on the opening possession, and uh, that worked, and he got hot really fast. Now, if he, before the game, something really interesting happened. Okay, and this is why people really need to get to Bartow Arena early to watch warm up. Okay, because it's like watching Steph Curry warm up for the Warriors. Jelly Walker hit sixteen three pointers in a row. 
during warm-up. It was, I mean, the kid is just incredible. Like, if you are not going down to Barstow Arena to watch this guy play, you're not a you're not a basketball fan. <laughs> Joseph, it seems like something special is brewing uh, in UAB right now with their basketball program with an 8-2 and two record right now. What is the ceiling for the program this year that uh, you feel like, you know, what, what can they accomplish this year? Yeah, well, they won a conference tournament last year, so uh, they ran into a really deep, great team in Houston in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Um, actually shot the ball really well in that game. It, it's just that Houston was so good and shot it better. Um, so winning the conference again, they've already knocked off two SEC teams before Christmas. I mean, that's great. Um and, and just seeing how high they can take this team with Walker. Like, this team's strengths are uh, defense, offensive rebounding, and Jelly Walker. That's exactly what K.J. Buffin said last night, and he was exactly right. And, and then Buffin is such an underrated guy, you know. He, no kidding. He just is kind of – he is just kind of like – you know, Jelly is the offensive catalyst and, and everything, but Buffin is really the glue guy on this team. And it was so fun to watch him drop 25 points uh, last night. And and he was just ecstatic when he hit that three-pointer. Uh, you know, he hit a three-pointer not too terribly long after Walker opened up with 10 points. And, you know, he kind of held up his hands. He held up three points. Like, you know, it was funny just to see the 6'9 guy, like, who just bangs all day long, uh, holding up holding up three points. Like, did you got, Did everyone just see what just happened? Did you see this three-pointer that I just made? <laughs> it was great. Um, and, by the way, he had a career-high 25. And I just – I love everything about his game, Joseph. I think you and I both agree on his significance on this UAB Blazers basketball team. Is it? And, and it's not just that he had 25 last night. He rebounds. He scores. He defends. He tips balls. Um, he, he has a very, very high, in my opinion, basketball IQ. And it showed last night. And I, I think this is a UAB team – that is uh, not just capable and will compete for their conference championship, but uh, they could take a step or two in the dance. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think at this point, you know, if they didn't make it to the second weekend, that they would be really disappointed. You know, that's that's probably what the bar is for this team, I would say. Anything uh, beyond that, you know, would be history in the making. Um, they haven't haven't made it the final four obviously but um you know uab's been in the elite eight uh so i mean that's kind of the standard what andy kennedy has been shooting for and and i think that's what they expect to do this year joseph uh uab takes on western kentucky thursday at 7 p.m uh could you preview that matchup a little bit for us Uh, yeah i mean you know i i think that um did you say uab Oh, I'm sorry. I might have had yeah. the schedule wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> Who's their next match? No, that's okay, man. They play su- so they play Southern on Sunday. Sunday, um, yeah. Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. It, it's going to be a big basketball weekend in Birmingham. 
Alabama has Gonzaga, which is going to be incredible. I'll be down there for that game uh, at Legacy. It's a hard sellout, over 15,000 people. And then uh, on Sunday, you got UAB at Bartow playing Southern. And then um, next Thursday, UAB opens up conference play against Charlotte at home. And that's Thursday night. So, uh, you know, you got two good opportunities to get down there and see some basketball. Well, you mentioned it. What about Alabama? What I've seen so far with the Crimson Tide is this is a very impressive team. We're talking about UAB getting into the NCAA tournament. People are already talking about Alabama as a Final Four. A little premature. Listen, I mean, there are some there are some very strong Fab Five, Fab Five vibes coming off this Alabama team. Okay, it's like it's not five freshmen that are starting, but. It's four really good ones, okay? Like, <laughs> this Alabama is incredible, so and the sky is the limit for these guys. And I'm so happy for uh, Nato that he's got this team because, you know, they really need to get that basketball arena built at Tuscaloosa as soon as possible so they can lock in Nato. And, you know, it's... It, Beating two number one teams, then coming back and beating Memphis. I mean, this is the hottest team in the country right now. It's probably the team with the highest ceiling, and it's certainly the the surprise team, uh, I think, so far in college basketball in the entire country because everyone knew that they were going to have the potential to be good, but having the potential to be good and then going off and knocking off two number one, Houston on the road, I mean, that's a whole different deal. And so, yeah, I mean, you, I would say that Final Four uh, with Brandon Miller and, and Betty Ako, like these guys are really long, and that's what gives Alabama an edge inside. It's like it's hard to score inside on these guys, man. It's so fun to watch. Joseph, you mentioned Brandon Miller. You know, I think a lot of people are mentioning him right now. He's the freshman sensation in the talk of the town. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, dude, he's like a, uh, you know, they, they were t- calling him, um, the, the comp they were given was Paul George on uh, the other night. But, mm-hmm. I mean, really, I mean, Paul George, you know, in his prime is like one of the elite defenders of the NBA. Uh, he, he's like a tall Paul Pierce for me. You know, he is, he is so fundamentally sound and gifted. Uh, he knows where everyone needs to be on the floor. Um you know, he is not, like, he doesn't demand the ball, you know, to get in a rhythm, anything like this. I mean, it is he is such a joy to watch on the basketball court. Uh, and I, he's a one-and-done kid, you know, and, and definitely please get down to Coleman to watch this kid play, okay? And, and all the guys. So, you know, this is a great squad, um, absolutely ecstatic for this team that Alabama has right now. I mean, Saturday is just going to be an epic environment at Legacy Arena. It's just, it's going to be so fun. Joseph Goodman, AL.com is our guest. Final question, getting away from basketball, and you and I spoke briefly about this in the media room last night. Just uh, just some general thoughts, uh, uh, some, some love for Mike Leach. Uh, the outpouring of his death and the number of people making comment has even surprised me, and I mean that in a very, very positive way. I want to get down to the floor of Bama, okay, and 
interview some people who hung out, like maybe some bartenders, some guys who hung out with Mike Leach at the floor Bama, because, you know, that, that would be a really fun column, you know, just to kind of visit this summer. Uh, you know, yeah, you're right. This is endless amounts of stories. This guy was such a treasure, you know, not only for college football, but all of collegiate athletics. And, and really that, for me, the, the big message, you know, that I think everyone need to appre- needs to appreciate with Mike Leach and, uh, is the fact that he was such a great learner and, and educator. He, his pursuit of knowledge, you know, is what really made him such a great coach. And, and that's what all the great coaches have in common, you know, um, and his name is right up there alongside it, alongside those guys. He should definitely be in the College Football Hall of Fame. And there's some kind of argument right now against his winning percentage, but um, hopefully they will yeah. make that adjustment so he can be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, because people need to like remember this guy for a long time. You know, he, he his innovation uh, with how Mummy uh, revolutionized the game of football, and then. Uh, you know, fans connected with him so well. We were talking about this, uh, you know, in the media room at Bartow. You know, everyone, like, grows up loving pirates, you know? So there's, it's like, it, it appeals, <laughs> like, to everyone's idea of staying young. And, <laughs> you know, Mike Beach very much had that, that Peter Pan vibe, you know? So he... um <laughs> he loved pirates. He was a he was a student of the history of pirates, uh, and that and fans just really gravitated towards that genuine authenticity of someone who just took so much joy in in, in the eccentric, obscure stuff that kids grow up loving. You know. One of a kind. He, he was a true treasure. All right, I'm going to give you a lead on, on your column writing about the floor of Bama. Start with Tim Brando. He was on our show earlier this week, and he was there at the floor of Bama when Mike Leach was there. In fact, he bought him a bushwhacker. So you can start right there with Tim Brando because uh, he truly was just uh, a delightful man. Thanks for your time, Joe. Thanks, Joseph. All right, but- did he have a topper on that bushwhacker? That's what I want to know. 151. I don't right, know. Man, have a good one. You know? Uh, <laughs> you <do. laughs> ah, touche. Uh, good stuff from Joseph Goodman. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Get back. Talk with uh, Lars and talk with Christian a little bit because a lot is surrounding Mississippi State. They have a new coach. And there are accusations of what's being called poaching which is uh, pretty sad in its own right. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside, this is Big Noon Sports. Roll Tide. It's the best sports talk, period. Your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Hanson Nissan here in closeout sale is underway right now. Every new Nissan and pre-owned car, truck, and SUV must be sold. And yes, your current vehicle is needed today at TNT. 
Sunny weather continues, the high 55. Colder Saturday, a mixture of clouds and sunshine, the high in the upper 40s at 49. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 53 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Make you want to be in the Bahamas with UAB? You always say kick off at ten thirty in the morning against Ohio. They'll be playing football while we're on the air. That's odd. This is a noon to two show. It's not like we're at night. Uh, this show, by the way, is Big Noon Sports. Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, Christian Miller. A uh, story popped up today on Twitter, and I often am a little hesitant when I start going with the Twitter thing. But apparently, there are reports that other coaches in college football, and I hate it when you do that because it just puts a blanket over all of them, but this report says that some of these coaches are getting third parties to contact some of the better Mississippi State players following the death of Mike Leach to try and coax them into the transfer portal and therefore try and coax them to their teams. Lars, have you heard that? And even if you haven't, what kind of disgusting person would do that? I have heard that, and uh, actually comes from pretty reputable reporters, and it's uh, it's despicable. You know, it's just despicable that someone would have the audacity and the just uh, total lack of uh, decorum and decency to actually do that, to exploit the death of Mike Leach to try to get a player. It's, it, 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 it just uh, disgusts me, Matt. I, I don't know what else to say. Christian, you got a comment or two there? Because uh, your 6'4 frame, go take somebody's head off. <laughs> you know, I, I agree with Lars. You know, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, intolerable. It's, 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 it's distasteful. Then, you know, just, to, just to, to hear that, though, I will be honest, it doesn't necessarily surprise me. And uh, the reason I say that is you just learn that college football is a business and um, a lot of people have, they put these faces on in the public, but, you know, in the back of their heads, their their sole purpose is to win. And sometimes they, they take some 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 drastic measures, like I feel like this is, you know, that's, that's definitely very, very low, I feel like, um, to do that. And but but again, unfortunately, it doesn't surprise me. Um, I wouldn't say most coaches would do this, but. I, I, I'm not surprised that a couple probably would try to, you know, sneak behind and uh, nab a couple players um, over to their squad. Hey, Matt, I know we're and, kind, uh, of, yeah. I'm kind of short on time. I do have a question for you, just following up on, on your, you guys' conversation with Joe Goodman. I don't know if you can answer this in about two minutes. Probably can't. But why don't UAB and Alabama play each other? I just don't understand. Oh, it goes back. That goes way back. Um, Coach Bryant really uh, was pretty vocal about it. He didn't want UAB to have a football program. They they never developed one while he was at Alabama. Uh, he felt like it was competition within the state, and he had enough with Auburn. But then it grew from there because the Bryant supporters also supported his way of thinking. And so the wall just got larger and stronger and taller and – 
I would be very, very surprised, and I hope to live several more years. I would be extremely surprised if UAB and Alabama ever play in football unless it is forced upon them in a bowl game. And I'll be very honest with you, Lars, even then, I'm not sure Alabama would accept. I mean, it, it is a stone wall, Lars. Christian, I, I'm guessing that you guys as players never discussed the possibility of playing UAB because it's not in your control. I, I wouldn't expect that at all. But did you pay attention to what UAB was doing? Um, we never discussed that, but um, I, I did hear what Matt referred to as um, them not allowing that. And uh, to my knowledge, is it pretty much any other Alabama school? Like, for example, South Alabama, is, is that um, also not allowed, Matt? Do you know? What was that again? I was reading a text from somebody uh, you, here real quick about Alabama and UAB. No, you're fine. I was asking, is it only UAB or is it other Alabama-based programs, such as like South Alabama they, or Troy? Or Troy. They don't. Uh, they don't tend to lean in that direction with the other schools, but the the UAB differences is much larger. Okay. Um, but you know, I, I wish it were different. To be very, very honest with you, um, because Auburn has certainly done so. You know, Auburn played Jacksonville State a couple of years ago, almost got beat. Uh, I like it, particularly when the levels are different, because if you're going to pay. A smaller school to come to your stadium and play. Why not keep it in state? Well, yeah, and that's the thing I don't understand. Like you know, the Alabama and University of Alabama at Birmingham, they're in the same system together. Yeah, they and are. It was, Great it topic for next everybody. hour. We yeah. got to go. At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. Hey, that's us. One o'clock. Golly, it is pretty outside. A little chilly, 53 degrees, big deal. Uh, a lot better than yesterday. And I know we had inclement weather all around the south and our thoughts and prayers go out to those because they were uh, there were deaths and injuries, and that's just uh, it's a very very sad situation, and and it's uh, magnified by the fact that it's that time of year. Merry Christmas to all. Happy Hanukkah. Um, let's go to Christian and Lars. And uh, Lars brought up a topic. Lars, you may know this because you've been in the business now. You've been doing the broadcast thing really for twenty years, but on a regular everyday basis for four now. Um, there is an old saying behind the microphones that if you're having a really, really, really slow day in Alabama, you want to bring up a topic and light your phones, you bring up why Alabama and UAB don't play football. <laughs> so you've done it. Uh, you've done it. So we can talk about that. I'd, I'd really like to get, because we have an entire hour that we're going to dedicate to phone calls, I would really like to get some input from um, from fans about Mike Leach. I'm so I'm warmed by the fact that a lot more people really cared and loved this man than I actually knew. Um, so the number is 205-342-9904, Again, the area code is 205. But Lars and Christian, starting with Lars Anderson, uh, it does it warm your heart, too, to hear all these wonderful stories about personal relationships and thoughts on Mike Leach? Yeah, 
And, uh, you know, I was thinking about this, too, with the death of my, my buddy Grant Wall at Sports Illustrated, who passed away over in Qatar. All the tributes that came out, uh, both to Grant and Mike Leach, boy, it sure would have been nice if they could have heard them while they were alive. You know, I, I don't know if either one knew how impactful that their life had been. And, um, and, and certainly now we are seeing that with Mike Leach, the amount of people he touched. And, and uh, you know, I often think about, um, you know, just your own life. And, 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 and my, like, inner circle people, both of which you guys are in, my inner circle is pretty small. Right. And uh, other than, you know, I've done a lot of stuff in public and, and done uh, been teaching for now nine years. And and I feel like I've been able to touch a lot of uh, young people through teaching. But uh, Christian, I, I you know, for you, the, the, the fact you played on you played professional sports uh, and you played at the highest level of college football and think of like all the teammates you've had. Um, you know, and it's just like, how do you want to be remembered? And I guess the the best thing, Christian, is, is that you, you just, you made a difference and you were, uh, empathetic and, and you tried to do good as much as you, as you possibly could. Um, so I'll, I'll just throw that at you. I mean, that, that's how I would like to be remembered that I, you know, I, you just, you try to do your best, give them the circumstances and, and you just, you hope that, uh, um, you know, you're guided by by love and uh, compassion and and really you do everything you can to help others. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, I'm still young, obviously, but, you know, as you get older, you just realize that's that's really what's most important is, is how you influence and impact others and how you can, you know, just help others. And uh, that's that's what I you know want to do moving forward is just, you know, live a life of impact and um, just helping out any way that I can. You know, they always spoke a lot about, you know, growing up, you know, being an athlete, you're always um, given a platform and it's about what you do with that impact, that, that platform and how you make a positive impact with it. And um, I think it's just so important to, to do those type of things because as you see, whether it's, you know, Mike Leach or, or your great friend Grant, um, you know, who had that, that platform, you know, they impact so many people in so many ways. And, uh, it's just a really special thing, um, when you can touch somebody's life. So that's kind of like what, what I want to do. And I want to put my emphasis on is I'm using my platform for a pos- positive purpose and, you know, help out younger kids in any way that I can. And, you know, maybe offer them advice or just anything that I've learned along the way, um, that can be, um, uh, you know, uh, an advice that can help them out. And that's, that's basically what I want to do and how I want to live my life. Well, I will say, Christian, uh, you did use your platform to get Keon Keeley to Alabama, so that's a good <laughs> yeah. It's all that's all forty-seven right there. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've, I've told friends that story, and they are just—it's it, it, one of the greatest stories I've I've, I've heard, and just the, the the role that you played in that. But but Matt, over to you. How, how do you want to be remembered? Um, first and foremost, as a as a Christian man, a good good father. You know, I just um, I, I put family and faith first, and uh, I would I, I would hope that that would carry over into the other legs of my life. Um, but I would like to be remembered as somebody that, uh, and I'm I'm so proud of my kids, and I know I'm kind of going in a different direction here, but I'm very very proud of my kids, my family, and and my grandchildren now, 
Um, I think that in a lot of ways that's what life is all about, is, is to put your efforts into your faith and your family. Uh, from a vocational standpoint, I would just like to be remembered as somebody uh, was fair, you know, and uh, hopefully, and um, like your students, Lars, uh, I've been very, very fortunate in something that I like to call, and, and you are doing and trying to pay it forward, interns. Uh, maybe even to a certain extent, giving a guy like Christian Miller a little bit of a helping hand. Oh, you do, although you don't need it, okay, Christian? No, you definitely uh, have. But and you I, know, have a have a little influence on somebody's life. And in right. the case of Mike Leach, have you know, be very impactful. So um, there you have it. From from, I mean, from my just, side you, of you it, guys, about, uh, just really quick. You think about coaches, Christian. And how many people Nick Saban has touched? And and I, I go back to you know the the book I wrote with Bruce Arians. Man, everybody I called about BA, uh, they just had story after story after story of how Bruce had helped them and and how he had been such a a, a, a mentor figure, often father figure in their life. And I think that is what truly is the. The, the fundamental basis of what makes a great coach is what impact does he have on these young men's life? And, uh, and, and Christian, I'll just turn the floor over to you about the impact that Nick Saban personally had on you. Yeah, you, you explained it great. You know, coaches impact their players in so many ways. And one of those ways is, you know, off the field, just helping develop those guys. Again, you get to college, you're 17, 18 years old, and you know, you're maturing into a young man, and, and it's a critical time for your development. And the things that are instilled in, instilled in you during this time, you're going to carry with those for the rest of your life. That's going to lead you to be um, the fathers that you'll be, you know, the brothers and sons that you are, and uh, just leads you to being that uh, best person, that best version of you that you can be. And uh, there's so many valuable life lessons that I've learned from Coach Saban, um, whether that's, you know, treating other individuals with respect. Um, the discipline of, you know, going to work every day and working for the people beside me, not just for myself. Um, just so many uh, valuable life lessons that I've learned from him. And um, you can you can ask countless other players, you know, that you hear how they just apply these things in their daily lives, whether they're they're two years removed from the program or 20 years removed from the program. The things that they learned while they were a college athlete under, you know, a coach like Nick Saban um, is just so important and so uh, valuable um, and, and I think it's just so so important that while you're in school, you just do a good job of really soaking up all those all those things because again, you're not going to be able to learn these things down the road, and, and, and it's so critical to your development as a person moving forward. And you know, Matt, really quick, uh, I, I've often kind of joked that Sports Illustrated for me has been the gift that's kept on giving because even after I left the magazine, just the fact that I was there for two decades has propelled me to uh, or open doors that I thought would never be open to me. And Christian, I, I think for you and, and anyone who ended up playing for Nick Saban, it's like you're going to have that for the rest of your life, you know, and and as uh, would and, you know, we're, we're hoping this isn't anytime soon. But whenever Nick steps away from the game, it is up to you as a former player and, and all the other former players to sort of carry on his legacy. And uh, I think Nick Saban, for you, is going to be the gift that keeps on giving. I agree. Very special person and a special coach. And, again, I'm just always so thankful for the opportunity that he gave me and um, what it's led to, all the relationships that I've been able to build 
uh, with my time here in Alabama and um, how I'm continuing to, to build relationships and, and utilize the platform that, that I was given at this school uh, due to Coach Saban coming and visiting me and recruiting me at a at a young age when I was 15 or 16 years old. So I'm, I'm, my goal is to continue to pay that forward and um, take advantage of the opportunity that I've been given. You know, one of the players that had uh, Mike Leach all over him, uh, I, I think as a character and as a player, was Gardner Minshew. And, you know, one of my favorite pictures and in interviews is when uh, Leach is coming off the field and he's got half a Gardner Minshew mustache on on the side of his face doing a postgame interview. He, he, was, he was just a classic human being. And I think I just need to kind of pull aside. I'm going to pull over and let Gardner Minshew talk about Mike Leach. Um, man, Coach Leach, he, he impacted me so much. He's, he's really the first person I've ever been around that just by the way he lived, how authentic he was, he lets the people around him, you know, he really brings that out. And I've never felt more myself and more comfortable being myself when I was with Coach Leach. And, um... I think also just the way he believed in me, you know, um, that belief, you know, that's something that really resonates. That's, and that's something I tell any parent, coach, teacher, the best thing you can do for a kid is believe in him. And he did that for me and it changed my life. And um, I'm always going to be grateful for him and the impact that he had on me. Andre said that it was that it He certainly put it in a nutshell. And it, I guess, guys, he just said what we, what we were saying that uh, everybody felt about him. He paid it forward. He had an impact and uh, made a big difference in his life. And um, that's a good thing. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you guys real quick, and another thing I saw on social media, and I'm just going to plead total ignorance. Have you seen the helmets that they're supposedly going to wear Mississippi State in um, the game against uh, Illinois? Is, is, I'll just ask you, is it for real? The pirate flag is... I don't. I don't know what they're really going to wear. I don't know if that's official. Have I you think seen somebody, it? I, I saw that, uh, Matt. I thought it was really cool. Whoever designed that, um, you know, did a really good job. It's very creative. Um, I don't. I don't think it was an official announcement from the the program itself. So I think it was more of a fan concept, so to speak. But a really cool design. And if they were to do something like that in his honor, I think that'd be awesome. I think it's you know probably a given that they'll have a patch or some type of helmet sticker. But yeah. um, a cool logo like that uh, would be awesome. I don't know, you know, the, the, the odds of that happening, but really cool idea. Yeah. Uh, Joe uh, Gaither, uh, who's uh, a producer and director extraordinaire, says it's not real. It's fan concept. But, yeah, I would think they'd be wearing a pirate sticker or something like that, Lars. Yeah. And um, I – yeah, I, I I was just going to say that I, I don't think that's a credible report yet, but um, I, I know they're going to do something uh, at Mississippi State um, that is going to be remarkable. And um, and 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 also I, I know there's been some discussion of whether or not Mississippi State should play in the bowl game or not. I, I, I don't think it's a discussion at all. I mean, I think Mike Leach would be frankly pissed off if they didn't play yep um and 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 uh you know and they actually and they're playing down in tampa and so they're playing at a game where there's actually a freaking pirate ship there (laughs) right so i mean in some ways raymond james stadium there's there's some symmetry and eloquence to it christian 
I agree. I, I think it's so cool to, to, to have that happen. It's, it's, isn't it crazy, guys, how coincidence like that always come up somehow? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think it's I think it's God just showing a little appreciation, you know. That's just, right. Uh, it, it, stuff like that happens. Have you all ever been to Raymond James? It's crazy. You're sitting up in the press box. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a game there, and it, you, you can't help but notice that there's a pirate ship in the end zone. And um, it, it it's it's really really crazy. Um, I don't know if uh, y'all been there or not, but uh. no, I, I have. Uh, I, I went down to see Bruce uh, last year, um, and uh, man, this sounds like too much name dropping, but whatever. It's kind of a funny story. Um, I'm in BA's box with uh, Bruce's wife, Chris, and Chris uh, is very vocal. Put it that way. <laughs> and uh, in the box next to us was Tom Brady's box. And so Gis- Giselle is over there. And Brady just made a few horrible throws, <laughs> right, in the game. And Chris just let loose. I mean, we're talking every curse word you could imagine. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Giselle is right there. And, um, yeah, maybe that's why Bruce was forced into retirement. I don't know. <laughs> there was also, and this was many, many years ago, a piece of paper with rules on it for Raymond James Stadium that was handed to everybody that entered, from fan to members of the media. And it had one of the most bizarre rules I have ever seen, and I'll share that with you on the other side of the break. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Covering SEC sports like kudzu on the roadside, this is Big Noon Sports. Have you been naughty or nice this year? Cash don't care. At Jackson Hewitt, you could still get up to $4,500 for the holidays. Some bucks now, more bucks in January. Sunny weather continues, the high 55. Colder Saturday, a mixture of clouds and sunshine, the high in the upper 40s at 49. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 54 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Big Noon Sports, Lars, Matt, Christian, and our gang. One of the things I love about Sports Talk Radio is that you can kind of you bring up a topic, and then it fingers out to this, and then it goes back to this. And, and that's what we've done here with Mike Leach to the fact that they're playing in Tampa. That's where the Bucks play. There's a pirate ship in the end zone, and it will have all types of flags rolling. And so we start talking uh, about Raymond James Stadium and, and how cool that is. Uh, Lars was there with uh, all of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hierarchy. Uh, I was there to do a football game, and I noticed it. And I have a note on that. But first of all, Christian trumped us all. Your experience at Raymond James Stadium. Oh, it was not the best experience. Um, (laughs) It was good until the last play uh, when we were playing Clemson National Championship. And uh, I guess 2016 season, I guess it was January 2017 when it took place. But... Yeah, Matt, that's where the uh, the old pick play took place. And, uh, yeah, like I said, before before that, it was a great, great atmosphere, great stadium. It was fun to that pick play and had confetti falling on my head, orange and purple confetti, confetti, excuse me, falling on my head. 
Christian, were you on the you, field for that final play? I was not on the field on that final play, but I. What's funny is I, I actually just went back and watched that the last couple of drives of that game um, yesterday or the day before. I forgot why I was pulling it up. It was when my dad was in town, and we were we were discussing what we were doing. Was we were talking about the the final play against LSU, and so we went. I, I told him there's some differences there, so we pulled up the final couple of drives of that Clemson game to look at the pick play. So I, it was pretty fresh on my mind too, ironically. Do you know, can you uh, give us just some behind-the-scenes color when it comes about that final play? I mean, the I, I believe the, the corner who was picked was Humphrey, who Correct. is now the best corner in the NFL. Right. And it was Renfro who caught the ball, yep. who uh, has gone on to have a, a really nice career with the Raiders. But can you just take us back to what the Alabama defense was and, and what is supposed to happen on a play like that when uh, what the, I guess the, the offense would call it, what, a rub route? Yeah, yeah, which it, looking, looking at it, it definitely was illegal. I mean, the number one receiver, so they had two guys split out wide to the right. Deshaun Watson does a sprint out to his right. It's got ever, all the momentum's going that way. And basically the number one receiver is going to run a pick or a rub on the cornerback to free up Hunter Renfro just uh, running straight to the, the pylon or just a little quick little um, flat route. And that's what they did. And if you watch a receiver, he's not even running a route, right? Like he literally just runs straight into Marlon's knees. And I don't know if he's tripping or what he's doing, but it's almost like he's just just almost grabbing Marlon's ankle at a, at a certain point because he just goes head first. And what happens is Tony Brown – who was because we were in a, a man concept. Tony Brown's supposed to have that that guy. That's his receiver, Hunter Renfro. But the pick route, you know, obviously obstructs Tony from going over the top, and then Hunter Renfro catches the ball and ball game. They win a national championship. But man, that just was a, that was a tough one. Yeah, it's one of those plays Alabama fans will talk about forever. Yeah, sorry, I was listening to that clip uh, and, and of rightfully Tony. So. <laughs> that that clip of Tony uh the following year once we got our revenge on them in the uh and uh, I think it was the Sugar Bowl. Um it was the semifinal of the playoff and we got our revenge against Kelly Bryan and the Clemson Tigers and uh Tony Brown right there was definitely very animated and emotional um after getting his revenge. So that that was fun. Can you take us into the locker room what it was like after that Clemson loss? Dang, Lars put me on the spot, man. Shoot, we were pissed. <laughs> like, I mean, a lot of heads held, you know, hanging low. I mean, shoot, dude, I, I don't think there's a worse feeling than than losing on a final play, right? Especially in a national championship game. Like, when we were undefeated the whole season and everything, um, again, because we were, all right, I don't know if y'all remember, but that first half, we were controlling that game. Bo Scarborough was running the football uh, tremendously. Um, then he gets hurt. He injures his leg. And for whatever reason, we kind of, you know, went away from the, the, the running game in the second half and we just kept having three and outs, three and outs. And the defense was piling up the, the, uh, the number of plays we had. And so the defense was starting to run low on fuel because we ended up, we played probably the most snaps, um, in a game that season, um, in that championship game. So basically what happened was yeah they they i remember Jalen, you know let us downfield score we took the lead and then they ended up taking it down they uh started the ball on like their 30 something yard line and then mike williams had a great catch and then we come back down they come down and 
was a pass interference called the play before last that kind of set them up for that last play scenario on like what the three yard line and they run the pick play and score. But to answer your question, it was a very grim locker room. You know, a lot of a lot of guys, you know, hanging their heads, you know, just because it's so tough when you put so much time and effort um, into something and to have it taken away at the last second on an arguable, arguably, you know, uh, play that should have been a, a penalty. Arguably, it's just it's one of those things. It's it's, it's a hard pill to swallow. But um, yeah, you know, a lot of guys were upset, you know, disappointed. You know, there's a lot of tears, a lot of frustration, but. You know, it, it's it's part of the game that comes with it, and um, it's unfortunate because I I believe that might have been one of the best best teams we've had had around here. Um, if you just look at it, just look at the talent on that team and look at the level the guys are playing in the NFL right now. So much talent. So Christian, the the final question for you: the narrative of that game was that at the end, and you you just mentioned it, the the, the defense was gassed, right? And and uh, is that accurate? And, and when and when you are just just completely dog tired, um, does that cause you to sort of lose track of your fundamentals, or you're just like not as strong, you're not as quick? What is it? What is it when fatigue really sets in? And and did it? Yeah, it definitely uh, played a factor. Um, I, again, we played. That was probably the most snaps defense played in a game that season. Um, There's just so many snaps, and by the end of the game. Um, you're just running low on fuel. You're tired, and what happens when you're fatigued? You know, you just you're not playing with the same fundamentals. Um, your your mental intensity is is turned down a lot. Meaning, you know, you're you're not necessarily as as quick twitch, as snappy. You're not as reactive sometimes, and uh, you're you're fighting for air physically. Um, I mean, it's, it's it's just tough. It's tough, especially when they're trying to go fast, and it's you know all the marbles are on the line. You know, it's it's coming down to the wire, and uh, when you need your very best, it's it's tough sometimes. When when you just had to do another drive, and now you're up to pushing eighty, ninety plays in, for that game, and it's just it's a it's a it's a hard uh, hard thing to do, especially when you know it's it's been going on that long. But yeah, it definitely plays a big role. It changes your dynamics. You know, your, your footwork's probably not the same. Um, you're not thinking as clearly, and it's just tough. You're listening to Big Noon Sports, Matt, Lars, Christian, and we've been joined by Tommy Ford on the other side of this break to talk more about what happened 40 years ago on this date. Out of obligation, I do need to finish my tease. And that is what was on the rule sheet when you walked into Raymond James Stadium in 2003. And that was when I was doing a UAB South uh, Florida game. It had the sheet said no alcohol, you know, that kind of stuff. No umbrellas, okay, that kind of stuff. The very bottom, it said no Chucky dolls. (laughs) Y'all know why? (laughs) Lars, do you know why? Yeah, because Chucky, that was uh, that's who John Gruden looked like, and uh, apparently John Gruden was a little sensitive. But I'm very. a little sensitive too. Uh, I'm very sensitive. <laughs> that's why I'm what, such a to, good. To little Chuck. <laughs> to uh, are, is there a Chucky doll match for Lars Anderson? I've actually heard that John Gruden is like a doppelganger for me, but you know. I've never met. Oh, you're much better looking than him. You're much better looking than John. Okay, all right. Uh, enough of uh, the enough of the man talk here. Let's talk some Coach Paul Bryant with Tommy Ford in a moment. From T town to the plains.
This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Have you been naughty or nice this year? Cash don't care. At Jackson Hewitt, you could still get up to $4,500 for the holidays. Some bucks now, more bucks in January. seen you in here before I said I've been here a time or two she said hello my name is Bobby Joe meet my twin sister Betty Lou welcome back into big noon sports Matt Coulter Lars Anderson and Christian Miller Zach Arnett has been named the next football coach at Mississippi State University. So um, that will be the announcement. He will coach them forward through the Illinois game. Lars. All right. We're now joined with Tommy Ford, uh, who spent 37 years uh, in the Alabama Athletics Department. And Tommy has written the exact number of books that I've written. He's written 12. Uh, His have focused on uh, Alabama football. Tommy, how are you doing today? And wanted to ask you just your recollection of uh, 40 years ago today, Bear Bryant uh, announced his retirement at a press conference. Uh, I believe you were a student at the time, but uh, just uh, your, your thoughts all these years later on this, uh, what is a, a, a historic day, uh, not just in Alabama, but if you want to look at the timeline of college football history this is an important day. One's doing okay. I was actually working in the alumni office uh, at that time. I had finished Alabama four years earlier, but I did uh, work for the university and had actually uh, traveled with Coach Bryant on a couple of uh, alumni meetings. Back then, they could have days where they celebrate a player from that particular town and I had actually traveled with him to a few of those. And uh, I don't think it surprised anybody because, you know, that year started off really good. I mean, we beat Penn State in 82, like 42 to 21. And they ended up winning the national championship. But then it just started uh, kind of dovetailing toward the end of the year. So the year ended on a very down note. Um, it was Auburn's first win over Alabama in a long time. LSU beat us. Southern Miss beat us. And I think the Southern Miss game with Reggie Collier running all over us probably sealed the fate for Coach Bryan at the time. Uh, he had actually said earlier in the season that maybe it's time, you know, for a change. And he had gone public with this. But nobody really thought he would. But yet when he announced his retirement, uh, and being in the health he was in and the age he was, um, nobody was really surprised. But it certainly made the Liberty Bowl uh, a whole different type game. Tommy, is there any major similarities between Coach Bryan and Coach Saban? Well, there's a lot of similarities, uh, and there's a lot of differences. I think their their biggest similarity is they – can adapt to change so well. Coach Bryant adapted 
to all sorts of things, especially in the late 60s, early 70s, with the culture of the average college student being so different than the early 60s guys, you know, with with uh, civil unrest and the Vietnam War and, and sorts of questions about authority and long hair and the hippie movement and all kinds of things that Coach Bryant had to adjust to. And then on the field, going to the wishbone in 71. And there's many rules, NCAA rules, that were changed because of Coach Bryant. And I think you'll see the, the same thing with Coach Saban in that he can adjust to change so well. Uh, they were both very detailed coaches. Um, they, relied, they delegated their responsibilities uh, similarly. But it's just a different world this day and time. Uh, than it was back 40 years ago, and uh, but both are, are unbelievably successful, and I'm I'm so fortunate to have been around both Coach Bryant and Coach Saban uh, a little bit in my life, and uh, I'll, I'll always treasure that response. Sounds like that your next man. book, Tommy. <laughs> yeah. Now that was you've uh, already done that one, Lars. <laughs> oh, that's right. Sorry, that's uh, I forgot about that. <laughs> Yeah. Volume two. Uh, Tommy, I, you know, you just uh, you rang a bell in, in what's left of my memory, and it was after the 2010 shellacking, and it was not as close as the score indicated, that LSU laid on Alabama right here in Birmingham that Coach Bryant hit it at retirement. And uh, you described it perfectly. People went, well, yeah, maybe, no, and then it could happen. And then when it did, like I said, it came as no surprise. I, I got to go back to something else you said, Tommy, and that's about traveling to these alumni deals at different cities with Coach Bryant. Um, you were, you and I think are exact. We're the same age, so you probably twenty three, yeah. twenty four, twenty five, something like that. What was it like? Well, it, it's it was interesting. Um, I started in the alumni office, and I had gone back to Gadsden for three and a half years. After finishing Alabama, I started in the alumni office in January of 82. Well, that was the start of Coach Bryant's last year at Alabama. And so during the spring of 82, back then, uh, teams, or I mean, excuse me, hometowns would honor a player. For instance, I went to Benny Perrin Day in Decatur, and the Morgan County oh, Alumni Association would, would sponsor. Benny Perrin Day. Well, back then, you know, you could honor an athlete and give them a car and all that. That was perfectly legal back then. Well, I got to fly on the university plane with Coach Bryant. And you talking about an awkward an awkward plane in terms well, there was probably six people on the plane, and everybody was just as nervous as they could be being around it. And he had a little small talk back and forth, but I'll never forget when we landed at the airport near Decatur, everybody just waited to see to let Coach Bryant get off first. So we were just all staring at each other, wondering who's going to make the first move. And finally, Coach Bryant looks at us and he said, well, somebody do something. And then we scrambled off that plane like <laughs> and he wanted to be the last <laughs> one off. And uh, so we had Benny Perrin Day in Decatur, and then I would travel – uh, not in a car with him, but meet at, you know him at an alumni event, whether it's Birmingham or Mobile or whatever, when they would honor players. Back then, Coach Bryant spoke to alumni chapters, and uh, especially when one of his players was being honored. 
So I had that opportunity to be around him a little bit. And I had already met him and been around him a bit when I was sports editor of the Crimson White back in 77. So uh, we already had a relationship, if you can call it that. Um, and I got to travel with the team in the 77 season to to Los Angeles for the Southern Cal game and to Lincoln for the Nebraska game. And um, but So I had a, a previous relationship with him a little bit, but he was – he was so nice and so classy, and when he did announce his retirement, uh, I guess 40 years ago today, um, it, it was sad in that such an icon and a legend was finally hanging it up. And then, you know, the Liberty Bowl was just a, a couple of weeks later, and then four weeks later, he passed away. Tommy, this might be uh, sacrilegious to ask this question in the state of Alabama, but uh you know, there was a lot of talk about Bobby Bowden when he was still coaching that he hung around too long. And because of that, Florida State slipped into decay. Was there any talk in Alabama at the time that Bear Bryant had hung around too long? Well, you know, um, I'm not sure about hung around too long, but I will say this. Around 1979 or so, after he'd won his sixth championship, um, I think he was entertaining some ideas of retiring. And then Charlie Thornton, who was his longtime publicist, sports information director, came to him and said, Coach, you know you only need X number of wins to break Amos Alonzo Stagg's all-time record. And Coach Bryant basically said, are you kidding me? And Charlie said, no. And I think that right there kept Coach Bryant on for three more seasons. And obviously it it worked. He became the winningest coach of all time at that time um, on the the Auburn-Alabama game in 81. I, I do think he probably entertained thoughts of retiring earlier than that, but I think that drive and his competitive spirit uh, had him stay on another three years. And then after the 82 season and how it went, and it was obvious that other coaches had been using his impending retirement at some point against us. And you can see that in that 82 roster, that it was nowhere near the, the uh, 79 roster. And that's when he just started realizing, you know, it's, it's time for somebody younger and and time for me to hang it up. Unbelievable stuff. And, Tommy, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, but I think not getting Bo Jackson and then a guy that went on to be a consensus All-American center by the name of Ben Tamborello, who is a great guy, good friend, uh, not getting those guys also signaled to Coach Bryant that I'm not quite – getting those players at Alabama anymore. Isn't that, isn't that about right? I think that's accurate, and, and it's not just the fact that Ben and Bo went to Auburn, but the fact that Pat Dye had gotten there and Coach Bryant had, had privately said, hey, you know, I don't want Pat Dye to go to Auburn. <laughs> and it, and it's obvious the, the great job that, that Coach Dye did while he was there. But I think his, his age, his health, uh, his the decline on the field, uh, the the recruiting was was suffering a little bit because of uh, his impending retirement. Whether 
that would have been one, two, three years down the road was was all gonna uh, all figured into his decision to retire. Hey, Tommy, Merry Christmas from Big Noon Sports. We appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, Tommy. Well, Grace. thank you, Matthew. Yeah, good to see you. And, and roll tight on the basketball front, too. Oh, we didn't even get a chance. We'll have to do that next week. Merry Christmas, okay. man. Okay. Merry Christmas to y'all. Take care. Bye. Back on Big Noon Sports to wrap this Wednesday edition up. What is it? Am I right? Have I got the day wrong? I can remember. <laughs> you got the day wrong. Brother. I can remember an Alabama quote from 1982. And here I think it's Wednesday. So y'all help me out when we get back. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. A national championship team covering a national championship team. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Have you been naughty or nice this year? Cash don't care. At Jackson Hewitt, you could still get up to $4,500 for the holidays. Some bucks now, more bucks in January. Sunny weather continues, the high 55. Colder Saturday, a mixture of clouds and sunshine, the high in the upper 40s at 49. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 54 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports, Lars Anderson, Christian Miller, Matt Coulter, about to wrap up this when not Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. What day is it? <laughs> Thursday. Um, there are those that buy into Jalen Hurts as MVP, Christian, and then there are those that flat out uh, still have a little question mark hanging out there. That's right. Uh, division rival uh, Micah, Micah Parsons said he's not buying the, the Jalen Hurts hype for MVP. Maybe not quite so much as what he said, but basically he said he questioned, is it, is it Jalen Hurts or is it the, or is it the system, the team? And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me again. Those are, those are two big rivals right there. But my opinion on that, I, I'll say this, I, I think it's, majority i would say jalen hurts obviously the team does play a role and jalen will say that you know jalen would be the first one to tell you you know having that superior chemistry that he has with Devonte smith and and the the newly acquired receiver and aj brown uh is is huge and is vital to their success um but the, you can't take away from what jalen hurts is doing i mean you watch this guy and you watch the, de- the development that he has had um you know over his a short time in the nfl so far he has just progressed year in and year out and not only that, you just look at him. I mean, he obviously was was the epitome of a, of a leader here at Alabama, and that's he's carried that along with him to that that Philadelphia locker room. He's earned the respect of his teammates. He's won over that locker room. Those guys go to battle for him each and every week. And uh, I, I think I, I think Micah Parsons is just. I think that was a little personal shot there. You know, I think obviously that comes from you know the bias of the, of the rivalry, but. Um, I think Jalen Hurts is more than deserving of the MVP at this point uh, due to his play and, and what he's been able uh, to accomplish this season with Philadelphia. I mean, they've only lost one game. These guys are playing some great football and have a really good shot at going very far in the postseason. 
I agree with you 100%. Um, Micah Parsons very well may be the defensive MVP. So it, it, it's weird that he would come out and really criticize Jalen, saying it, it's uh, it's the system, it's not him. Well, you know, uh, they ran that system when he was a rookie. They ran <laughs> that system last year. And uh, I, I remember it was uh, – Gosh, I can't believe it's been this long, but it was uh, it was December of 2016. Uh, I did a, a I wrote a 5,000 word piece on Jalen and went down to Channel View, Texas, and and spent time just with uh, the, the 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 school principal, cheerleaders, and uh, and 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 students in the, who played the band. And I remember it was it was the trombone player who told me. And this is when it was like it just something really resonated. He said that uh, he was in the weight room the other day and he was like just struggling to get up, you know, maybe like two twenty fives. Right. On on each uh, on, on each side of a, doing a bench. And uh, so that's forty five and ninety. So about a, about 100 pounds. And Jalen came over and helped him. And not only that, just, it like encouraged him. And Jalen like stayed on him. And then he and Jalen developed a friendship, you know, and, and, and this is like this is what leadership looks like. And Jalen has taken so that little snippet, right, all those years ago when he's in high school and, and we can talk for a long time about the development of him, his throwing mechanics, his accuracy, uh, his command of the offense. But you could see Matt or at least I could way back then from that trombone player that this kid is just Jalen hurts is a winner and he cares and, and he, and he's selfless. And I, I think this is just my experience and Christian, you could, you could back this up or not, but when your, your quarterback is beloved by the entire team and, and the entire team knows that, you got a chance to win every Sunday because your quarterback is playing at such a high level. Man, that lifts all everybody. You know, rising tide lifts all boats. Well, rising Jalen has lifted every single Philadelphia Eagle, Matt. Yeah. Hey, uh, I just got a question as we roll out here. Does Tom Brady run a system? Just, just curious. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody, you know, has a system. And I think the, the, the most important thing is getting the right guy for your system. I mean, again, exactly. s- systems play a part in this. But if you look at um, what Jalen Hurts has done, the throws that he's making, man, he's just playing phenomenal. And uh, you can't discount that. Not at all. Uh, he's very deserving of it right now. We'll talk Listen. more NFL, particularly Tom Brady and the Bucks, when we come back tomorrow on Big Noon Sports. See y'all. Let me guess. Unknown caller? You could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy.